In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing assessing potential risks. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with the Sheepdog Church Security Academy, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, Watch the Radar. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under our news tab. So let's begin in the Bible. This one is Deuteronomy 19, verse 11 and 12, and it reads like this. If any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him and rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die and fleeth unto one of these cities, then the elders of this his city shall send and fetch him hence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Today we're going to be discussing the signs and symptoms of a potentially violent person. Now this process is going to rely heavily on some intelligence gathering that we're going to touch on. So please share this video with uh, your friends, your family, your team, staff, and volunteers, because we're going to be covering a lot of important things. So let's first do some news stories. Um, we have a number of them here, but also if you've been paying attention at all, you've been listening to our podcast or you've been uh, watching our YouTube videos, we have a whole playlist on deadly shooter encounters. So, so be sure to check that out. You already know this is kind of a risk that's out there. It's a real risk. All right, so let's get into some of these. So... Imperial, uh, Imperia, uh, Kansas, March 6, 1988. A man entered the sanctuary of the Baptist Church during a Sunday morning service and began firing a handgun. One person was killed and four were wounded. When he tried to reload the gun, a church member hit, um, hit him in the back of the head with a hymnal. Um, his motive? Personal rejection. Four years earlier, a woman who was a student of Imperial State University and attended the church refused to a marriage proposal. Apparently, he blamed the church. Uh, Vestiva Hills, Alabama, June 16, 2022. On a Thursday evening, a man attended a boomer's potluck in the church's fellowship hall. He sat alone, not talking with anyone, even though some asked him to sit with them. He pulled a handgun and uh, began shooting, fatally wounding three before being hit by a chair and taken down. There was no clear motive, but the shooter had been a licensed gunsmith and dealer. He had occasionally attended services at the church. He also had a police um, encounters related to alcohol use and was seen as an oddball by some who knew him. On February 2023, he was found competent to stand trial for capital murder. A question remains is what role alcohol and mental health played in the shooting. Sutherland Springs, Texas. We've all heard this many times. November 5th, 2017. A pers the, the person who attacked the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs was involved in a feud with members of his second wife's family. He had been sending threatening messages to his mother-in-law who lived in Sutherland Springs and was a member of the church. He became prepared to kill anyone or everyone. His um, mother-in-law was not there that Sunday, but her mother was 
but her mother was and died. All right, the shooter had a history of violence, including a court-martial conviction for assaulting his first wife and stepson. If that conviction had been entered into the federal database, he would have been barred from buying a weapon. If the mother-in-law had told the church's pastor about the threats, they could have asked for police protection. As it was, he had been to the church several times, and his presence made members feel uneasy. He would have been a good candidate for a threat assessment. All right, Laguna Woods, California, May 15, 2021. The suspect in the shooting of the Taiwanese congregation in Laguna Woods believed that the Taiwan should not be independent and hated Taiwanese in this country who favored the independence of Taiwan. He lived in Las Vegas, and news stories did not tell of any connections um, he may have had with that in particular church in Orange County. All right, Charleston, South Carolina, June 17, 2015. A young white supremacist in his 20s had a website on which um, he expressed his desire to restore segregation and Jim Crow laws. He stated in a manifesto um, why he was choosing the AME Church in Charleston as a target for the attack. If his site had been monitored and the church had given um, had been given warning, the massacre of nine parishioners, including a prominent pastor, might have been avoided. All right, so what we want to talk about, and you can see from the stories that we chose, is there are indications, little hints, that these people were on their way of becoming violent. And so we have to be paying attention as best we can in order to monitor these people you know, either they're a regular attendee or maybe occasional attendee, or even in connection with somebody who is a occasional or regular attendee. Now, there are a lot of reasons for disruptive behavior, a lot of reasons for potential violence, and we have to be paying attention to these things within our church. The first one is family problems, right? So, um, we're talking failing marriages, we're talking children acting out, arguments with in-laws, those kind of things, need we need to be paying attention to those because they are a potential for violence. Uh, financial problems, foreclosures, loss of a job, difficulty affording basic needs or paying bills, uh, substance abuse, alcoholism, and other forms of addiction um, put a lot of strain on people. Uh, medical conditions, chronic pain, fighting, uh, you know, frightening diagnosis, terminal uh, illness, mental illness. These are all things that occur regularly at our churches, right? People are hurting. But one of the things that we have to do as a church is that we have to ensure that we're ministering to these people. So here's a little bit, uh, not just identification, but also on prevention. If the church is fulfilling its mission to minister to hurting people, people going through family problems, financial issues, substance abuse, medical conditions. We need to be providing as much help as we can. And this is really our way of mitigating violence. Now, is 100%? No. But we can do more. We can be better. One of the things that I'm kind of jumping off script here a little bit is this, is I believe that every safety team member needs to be part of the prayer ministry. We need to be part of that prayer chain. Now, 
not only is it so we can participate in the prayer, and quite honestly, I'm not a big prayer warrior, but as some people call it, I'm not a big pray guy. I try to pray as much as I can, but I don't know that, I don't know. I'm, I'll, I won't get into that. But anyway, but a lot of times, you know, we can at least get, you know, when I get emails and somebody says, hey, I haven't been doing stuff because of medical conditions or whatever, I'll throw up a quick prayer and just say, hey, you know, God, you know, it'd be really cool if you healed that guy or got that guy a job. And that's it. It's a pretty brief prayer. But at least I throw it up. The other thing is this, is it's also notification, right? We're learning who's struggling so we can help them and we can ensure that they're taken care of and that there's real plans in place and that's going to mitigate the risk and that's part of, of being a sheepdog. Also, too, it's a, it, it kind of puts people on our radar that maybe weren't on our radar before. So I don't know if that's completely ethical or not. I don't mean that we're sneaking into the prayer chain just so we can collect information, but still, be part of it so we can pray for these people and we gain some knowledge. Okay, so let's talk about the profile of a killer because this is going to help us spotting those people. That might be, you know, we already covered those four issues that are that could be going on, types of problems that are going on. Now there's certain things that we need to pay attention as a profile. So most of, so this came from the National Threat Assessment Center, so NTAC, and they did a report from 2016 to 2020 of the behaviors of mass attacks. And this is what they came up with. Most had exhibited behavior that created concern for family members. So think about this. A family member says, hey, we need to pray for Bob. You know, that's something that should grab our attention, not only so they can be prayed for and ministered to, but um, is there other signs and symptoms we need to look for? So anyway, they exhibited behavior that family members started to get concerned. Uh, many had a history of physical aggression or intimidation behaviors. Um, usually it's um, evidenced by prior violent criminal arrests and charges, domestic violence, other acts of violence towards others. Half of these mass killers um, were motivated by grievances to retaliate for perceived wrongs related to personal, domestic, or workplace issues. So that's that resentment, right? They feel like they were wronged. If they feel like they're wronged from the church or somebody in the church, that's just festering inside of them. Um, and that, of course, can result in violence. Most use firearms. Many of these were stolen. Uh, this is a stat probably a lot of us has heard that these weapons were obtained illegally in one way, shape, or form. Over half of them are stolen. And so um, if you're looking for an actual reference to use when you state, make that statement, here it is. Um, most used firearms, many of these were, okay, we already covered that, sorry. Um, one quarter subscribed to a belief system involving conspiracy and hate, hateful ideology. Something to pay attention to. There's a few of those people out there, many, more than a few. Uh, many experienced stressful events in various life venues, family, romantic relationships, personal things, um, employment, legal matters. So we talk about that triggering event where their personality changes and they start to go down this deadly force, this mass killer uh, road, if you will. 
And then, of course, more than half had mental health symptoms. All right, so these are all things that we need to be paying attention to. So here are the, like, what I would call the major red flags and the important, and then, and, and things that need to be shared with the safety team. So you have the people going through those struggles. Maybe you have some inside knowledge or people have that inside knowledge that they have other um, signs and symptoms of a profiled killer that we need to be paying attention to. And I would consider now these things the red flags, the big stuff. So do they have an unusual interest in violent um, subjects, especially past attacks? Anyone who does that, that's a big sign. Uh, the individual engage, engages in violent or harmful rhetoric, such as making threats or holding that certain people should die or be seriously harmed. Um, exhibits misogyny, hatred of women, or engages in domestic violence. This is somebody that we need to watch. One of the things that um, is not in the article, but uh, what I read was this is they said this without actually saying it, but basically there are a group of people out there that have a real hate for all women. And um, because this is not a program for children, I'm going to use a slang term. It's called incel. You've probably heard somebody being called an incel before. It's an involuntarily celibate, meaning that these are people with social issues and um, do not attract women. And therefore... Um, instead of trying to change themselves to find the right woman for them, they actually just start to fester this hate. And they collect in different chat rooms and different areas online, and they start to just build up this hate of women. Okay, so we need to be watching for that. Uh, be aware of online activity. Kind of already touched on that, right? We need to, we can watch people's social media. And if they have a lot of this hateful or violent rhetoric where they're commenting on other things or they're posting things of violence and misogyny and that kind of stuff, that's a warning sign. Uh, final communications, obviously, this is the end of all of it, where they're saying basically a farewell post or they're, or they're posting a manifesto of everything they hate about the church or everything they hate about the government or whatever. Um, these kind of things are huge warning signs. So with all that, um, the next thing is, what do we do, right? So we know about family problems. We know that they have some of these other signs. They start starting to fit the profile of a mass killer. We've seen these red flags, these major red flags starting to pop up in their life. What do we do as a safety team then in response? The first thing is this. All take all threats seriously. If it's against the church, if it's against somebody inside the church, the pastor, theology, Christianity, whatever your, your denomination or religion is, these kind of threats, we need to take them absolutely serious. For us, that means calling the police and letting them know, hey, the pastor was threatened. Hey, this, this woman at our church was threatened. We, you know, <laughs> and we're concerned that this person could become violent. At minimum, let the police know because they can then investigate it further and potentially take action. The other thing that we need to do is we need to consider a trespass warning against that person. That means that if they even step one foot on the property or one tire on the property, 
we can immediately call police and their act of showing up is a violation of the law and therefore the police are empowered to take action. Next thing, if appropriate, develop an aggressive plan to help the hurting person. So this goes back on to my first, in one of my earlier statements. It's, it's really the church's responsibility to, as much as we can within reason, to provide help to hurting people. So if this is a case where it's appropriate, reach out to that person. How can we help you? How can we do this? You know, how can we move you through this? So if, like I said, if appropriate, have an aggressive plan to help them. Next thing is the church needs to go to an elevated threat level. So what I mean by that is this, is maybe your church doesn't allow you to have a safety posture as a regular course of action. So the doors are, exterior doors are unlocked. Maybe the classroom doors are also unlocked. And that what this does is when they're not in that way, it's very hard or it takes longer to get into a lockout or a lockdown. And so at this point, we have to say we're at an elevated risk. So all classrooms and offices need to be locked at all times and the exterior doors need to be locked. Now we can still have door greeters allowing people to come in, you know, for services and, you know, teachers can have the doors propped open in a way that they can just easily close them if there is a lockdown, but we need to be in that safety posture. Next thing is increase alert level for all staff and volunteers. We need to talk to people and say, hey, we're at an elevated risk, so you really need to be paying attention to people's behaviors. And, and are they showing signs of, potentially, of potential violence? And we'll get into the, what those signs are here in a second. But we need to be at an elevated risk level. This is also a all hands on deck for the safety team. We need to be working those services with as many people as we can. We need to be working midweek um, events. If you have midweek events, we really need to be at alert level, really be putting in our time to make sure that people are safe, the congregation is safe. Next thing is, is monitoring the parking lot. We need to be paying attention. Now you've heard this before and I'll say it again, three out of four um, violent incidents at church start in the parking lot. So if we're monitoring that parking lot, that's going to be our early warning system, if you will. In the case that, you know, um, Wesley references that we're watching the radar. We're paying attention. And so if we see something, then it gives us more time to respond. So if we need to go into lockout, we can go into lockout. If we need to go into lockdown, we can go into lockdown. All right, so the final part that I want to cover is those warning signs, those be disruptive behavior signs, those things that let us know that something is about to happen. All right, so, this, so things you're looking for. And a lot of these are extremes, right? So the first one is flushed face or pale face. And so once I, if my face is just beat red, I mean, it's always a little red, but if it's just beat red, um, that shows that my, that's an adrenaline dump, right? Kind of, that's, that my face is red and I look angry, we, right? That's a kind of a, a, you know, a common sign, red face. It could also be a pale face. Now, this is somebody more in a survival mode and we've seen this in other pictures and emergency situations where their face is completely pale and it might be a little bit blotchy. So in my case, my face would be completely white, but maybe I'll have these weird blotchy 
things on my uh, on my cheeks. That's a sign. Sweating is a sign. Once again, that's a gen- adrenaline response. Pacing, restlessness, repetitive movement. That's adrenaline, and they're working out the the energy that's built in their body. Once again, the other extreme, extreme fatigue. They look worn down and sluggish and barely dragging, you know, kind of like they're dragging their feet is a sign. A change in voice, right? An adrenaline dump, it, sometimes people talk faster and sometimes they talk higher, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, um, it's that adrenaline, it's that energy, that emotional energy that's coming out of them. Um, loud talking or chanting, certainly chanting, that's more of a religious, um, you know, attack, you know, attack. They might be saying something that indicates that like they're praying before they, they blow themselves up with everybody around them. Uh, shallow and rapid breathing, once again, adrenaline comes coursing through them, scowling, sneering, using abusive language, Certainly out of the, you know, anger, we know what an angry face looks like. We know as someone who's mad and just glaring at somebody, staring them down, you can see that stress in their face. And of course, abusive language um, is a bad sign. Trembling, once again, that's energy burning through them or not burning through them and their body's responding to it. Clenched fists, clenched jaws. Um, exaggerated or violent gestures um, accompanied especially with that abusive language. Um, Glaring at people. Once again, we kind of already touched on that, but you could also go the other way with avoiding eye contact altogether. Basically, they're trying to get by unnoticed to go into an area to do something. And then, of course, violating personal space, getting in your face, getting into somebody else's face. These are all triggers for violence. Now, I know we covered a lot of information very, very fast. I'm going to encourage you to read that article. There's a a good review of all that information in there for you. And you might even want to, you know, take some notes or, you know, copy and paste it and get with your team and talk about these things. Um, Other than that, I just want to encourage everybody, this is the kind of stuff we talk about on Sundays with our online training events. This is stuff that's covered in our self-paced training online. These are things that we regularly talk about in our alumni association for our weekly Zoom meeting. This is stuff that's going to help you and help your church, so I want to encourage you to become one of our students if you haven't already been a student with us and get involved and learn more as much as you possibly can. Teach your teams, get your teams this training so they can learn more and they can become more effective in safeguarding the congregation. Other than that, if you like this video, please like, share, comment. Um, Let's get the conversation going in the comment section. Send me an email, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, let's get that information out there. Other than that, thank you so much for joining us today. And hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.